Welcome to the Mindful Surfer podcast with myself, Will Foster, and my co-host, Liam Morgan, who I have copied a bit, not regarding how I'm trimming my pubic hair, but more how I am taking care of the above lid, the northern lid, the top lid, and wearing a hairband. Now, it gets a few looks, the old hairband. I don't wear a hairband. It's a sort of, people look at you going, is he wearing a hairband? He is. Yeah, but Beckham did it, didn't he? Bex did it. Yeah. And David Beckham, dare I say, was a style, and probably still is, style guru. He set so many trends. Yeah. <laughs> Every time he changed his hair, it was like, oh, I want to do a mohawk on it. And fair play to him. He led the way. Do you know what? It's quite interesting we started with that because he got so much shit, didn't he? But So much shit. Although there is an element of poser about Beckham, I'm sure he himself would agree that if we spoke to him. He definitely was going for this not giving a shit what people think. He faced so much criticism. And to have to deal with that on a daily basis, we're all, even the people in the media are human beings, aren't they? So all of the shit that was thrown at him, when all he was trying to do was play football and have a good time. That's it. And also, Beckham is famous for the red card yeah. versus Argentina and death threats. I know. And death mail and the famous, famous hanging of the sort of Beckham doll. The effigy. The, is effigy is yeah. the word, that's yeah. right. And just remarkable how people have such lacking awareness. Because we discuss this so often on the show. There is never judgment of another human's unconsciousness. How can there be when someone isn't even aware of their unconsciousness? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> someone, if someone doesn't even know, because yeah. they're so entrenched in ego, then how can there be judgment? It's like, it is what it is. It's that kind of lazy critic that's still asleep, isn't it? Yeah. Like going back to the Beckham, I mean, he's obviously stopped playing football a long time, but sitting in stands of any sports stadium, but particularly to football in some ways, or soccer, if you listen to this in, in other parts of the world, where somebody who has braved the arena of contact, they've trained all their life, they're at the pinnacle of their given sport, they've been, you know, playing for their national team, and somebody in the stand who probably can't walk up a flight of stairs without huffing and puffing, he's shouting, <laughs> you're shit, David, you're shit. Well, yeah, he might be a bit better than you, bud. But hey, there you go. That's the insane world that we live in, Will. It is, dude. And we've had criticism for the show. I haven't known who it is, but I've caught wind of, you know, critics and criticism. Um, not specifically about the show, like what they didn't like or whatever. But you just have to go, yeah, okay. Art is art. It's just, you know, surfing is the same thing. It's surfing is art. There's no right way to do it. You just express yourself. It's an interesting However you like. mindset to get upset by something that you can turn off <laughs> or not watch. I know. Even if it's David Beckham playing football. I know. That's what amazes me. When people have this negativity. Do you ever read the Stab yeah. comments? God, Stab magazine. If anyone doesn't know Stab, it's a very famous online surf magazine it's, it's really good it's, they have some cracking articles real good sense of humor very dry yeah very sarcastic which i love i'm not shy of mentioning the three p's either the comments are what really interests me brutal because people get really really negative you wonder if they would do it in person to their face and that's the thing it's sort of people hiding behind well the keyboard or whatever well said I, do you know i was going to mention this later on i don't know if you listen to the latest aubrey marcus podcast and for anybody listening that's heard us before aubrey is somebody that produces some great conversations with great people. And the last one that uh, he did, he had a guy called Eric Davis. He's the sort of king of weirdness, Eric Davis. Anyway, Eric was talking about, you know, everything from sort of psychedelics to uh, various cults. 
and conspiracies and really the sort of the overarching kind of things that come out of his findings really started then to link back to this culture of getting lost in our own biases. So we stop to see the nuances we talked about before in things. And once you're lost in your own bias, you get perfectly friendly people, actually, sometimes. He taught very much that in person, we have this idea of right and left, or let's say long borders, short borders, stand-up paddle borders, body surfers, surfers, body surfers whatever your labels are. We seem to have both embraced labels now and reject labels and get angry about other people and what's attached to those labels and so on. But his point was that, you know, particularly in reference to America, you can go from right to left in America. And most people that you come across will be just nice people in person, friendly to you. You know, you stop at the gas station, they're going to be nice to you. You go to the local bookstore, etc. People, when they get home now, what's the internet done to them? What's the online culture done to us all? Is actually turned people who would be perfectly reasonable to your face into vitriolic, mm. angry, sort of crazies online. I know. And that's the sort of weirdness of the internet, if you like, that it's still in this adolescent phase mm. where people are happy to go around shouting and slamming doors, but they probably may not do that in public in front no. of their grandma or their grandfather or whatever. Totally, yeah. dude. There is so much out there that we can read yeah. on social media and the media in general that is this thing called, you know, the news, how it's portrayed, although <laughs> there's far more news than the news portrays, of yeah. course. What I really urge people to do is... Listen to your body, tune into your body when you read stuff, when you watch stuff, and just see how it's making you feel. I have this absolute golden rule to myself when it applies to the people I surf with and hang out with, play tennis with, cricket, all the other sports I do, and the things that I read. This absolute rule is, if this person or activity, or if this article or bit of news is not uplifting me, calming me, settling me, doing something that's positive overall to me, it's a done deal. That's it. It's parked. Even if it's really, really interesting. Because the only part of me that would feel the need to be informed would be my ego. Because my ego says, oh, no, I must be informed. I'm important. I know I need to know about the world and I need to know about this and that. And my soul silently underneath is watching the ego going, (laughs) you're full of shit, man. Because I know what you want and I know what we all want, which is to feel good. Now, if someone reads stuff, spends time with certain people, surfs in a certain way, rides a certain board, put whatever you want into there you will, does those things and feels good. Well, hell yeah. Go ahead. That's fucking awesome. Because also some people's version of feeling good is feeling bad. Yeah. (laughs) How funny is that? You know, for some people, they're so unaware of their stress and they're so unaware of their body that the feeling badness to them is an addiction. It's like, oh, no, you know, I like surfing with that person, even though they really piss me off. Because I'm not even aware that I'm quite addicted to this unhappiness almost. It's called the Eckhart Tolle calls it the pain body. It's the subconscious part of us that feeds on fear and feeds on negative. And if, unless you can tune in and go, oh, hang on, I'm getting a bit hooked on this. I'm getting a bit into this, a bit addicted to this negativity. Unless you can tune into that, you get swept away with it. Well, this is it. I mean, very easily. Maybe the world isn't as bad as the media would have you believe it is. No way. In fact, it isn't as bad as the media. And by the way, therefore, you've got to check out this guy called Dawson Church. Leave him in the show notes. I'll have a look. I haven't. Just for everyone, check that guy out because he's got this book on all the positive things that happen in the world. And uh, of course, it's way outweighing all the downsides and the negativity. So it's just a really good good guy to check out. I've always said that they should have almost after the news. And I suppose a little bit of local news can be, gives you a little bit of uplift, but... Why don't they just have like the reasons to be cheerful show at 10 o'clock instead of the news? We'd be a happier place for it. It's surfers, we have to check this ourselves, right? You know, we get so lost in our own biases 
that we think we have to belong to a certain tribe. You know, four legs good, two legs bad, or whatever the old uh, saying was in the, the old novel. But you say there might be people on the other side of the argument, let's call them stand-up paddle boarders, who have a good point to make, <laughs> and vice versa. There might be short borders or long borders, or there might be people who vote for a different political party, or they're interested in something over there that would deem that they might have that label attached to them. I can't speak to those people. Let's just kind of judge each thing on single issues. And um, I'd advise, I mean, tune into Aubrey as well and listen to his show. But that last one with Eric Davis, who's, who's gone and investigated all of this stuff and hung out in like weird places, is really compelling. Covers everything, as I say, from like psychedelics to conspiracy theories. It's brilliant. It's really cool. Dude. I think a really good sign that you've got a great surf crowd around you of, of mates is when you can all have really, really different views on the world. Totally different yeah. opinions. But that you make love the most important thing. Yeah. Love number one, everything else number two. Because the getting along and the banter and the enjoyment and the kindness and the understanding and the listening and all the stuff that makes our surfing friendships or friendships in general great and good and uplifting is the most important thing. And to ever have a set of opinions get in the way of that is just the ego. And so you know you're in that great crowd when you can just have be so different so different but there's all this synergy and getting along because because love is the most important thing fucking there's a line i mean it is isn't it but we do this in the surf and it's so easy to to not make love the most important thing and have the ego come up and be like these are my waves and get out the way and that person's in the way and oh fuck it's summer it's getting crowded and oh god you know it's been locked down and now it's not locked down and god look how many surfers there are and you know we're all going to be in this little place in the next few months surfing's never ever we're going to get tested. Been more popular. There apparently have been more boards sold worldwide in 2020 than ever before. Mm. Okay. So we're going to be in this new phase in, in our lives. And it could not come at a better time to really tune in to the awareness of your body and your mind as you kind of approach this, this whole thing of, of crowded lineups. Because you will get waves. You will have a great time when you bring a good stoke, when you bring a good vibe. But you've got to bring that first. And we've said this many times in the show. You don't get it from the ocean. You've got to bring it to the ocean and then you get it back. It doesn't work the other way around. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think we can be helped. Yeah. If I'm having a slightly more anxious day, can the ocean help me a bit? Yeah, it can help. Yeah. But overall, mostly, if I rely and weigh heavily on the ocean to sort my shit out, ooh, I'm in a tricky place. Because as soon as I get out of the ocean, well, what then? Here we are exploring all this alongside our love of surfing and all that sort of jazz. But it's kind of that whole thing about wherever you go, that's where you are. And um, other people can never fix your issues. As you get older, you realize that, you know, you, you ultimately you've got to sort of look at yourself in the mirror and start there. Down straight. Are you talking about the mirror when you're doing your pubes, that is? Or you... <laughs> <laughs> you set yourself up for that, <laughs> Do you do it standing like that with the sink? Does the sink take the pubes and then you wash them down there? <laughs> Listen, uh, I'll never ever forget seeing a friend's mum. Oh my god, wearing a bikini. Oh dear thinking, god, here he goes. Wow, what is he wow, young lad. Wow, what's that? What is that? Very liberal, very seventies. Why not? If you're going to go that way, why not? Smooth, soft, it's comfortable. The thing about pubic hair is we've covered this. <laughs> say we. I've, I've covered this. Don't a, you bring me into this. Thank I've you very much. Thank you very much. I've covered this a number of times because it's one of those nice neutral places you can be. Although you can still get in trouble for talking about anything nowadays. Christ. But pubes is sort of, it's just there. It's, you know, where everyone's gone and that's all good. You know, that's all I'm saying. 
<laughs> Insert what you will. Move on. Moving William, on. Move Moving on. on, boy. By the way, can I just say before we get into the next section? Do you want to well done for cycling up the hill. Oh, yeah, thanks. Because I very ignorantly just drove past Will, gave him some abuse out of the window. He was cycling up quite a steep hill. You did a very good job of that. I well did. Done. And actually, that conditioning's come through. I did, um, it's been flat here. Well, we're going to come on to this later on anyway, on the body part, but I did this hill called Sulcombe Hill. Ooh, it's a tough one, which Matt. To anyone listening who lives in the area will know that hill. I mean, huh? Lance Armstrong would need a bucket full of pills to get up there. You'd need a few testosterone jabs. It's one of those ones where, apparently, just Google this, it's in the top 10 hills in Britain for cycling yeah. in terms of intensity. That was pretty killer. It was an interesting test of mind because halfway up, I was, for me personally, 100% cooked. I was halfway, I was like, body's done. Mm. But it's amazing how much we've all got left mm. when you really dig deep. So it's just really interesting how the paradigm shifts in everything, isn't it? Like if you just are able to stay with it and it applies to surfing, take that next stroke, take that next one. Maybe it's bigger ways. Take another stroke, see what happens. You know, maybe it's the fitness of getting out the back in the first place. Well, rather than think of how long is it going to take me to get out and oh my God, my arms hurt and insert what you will. Just bring it back to ouch, there it is. Yeah. Next one. Hand, next one. You bring it back into the moment and suddenly you get there. And it's what do you hook your motivation on? I cycled many years ago now. Well, I don't know. When I'd first done my back in, I was down in France and there's a, a mountain. It's on a stage of a Tour de France called um, Mont Ventoux. Mm-hmm. It's quite a famous sort of climb. There was a guy that died up there who was a sort of serious cyclist on the tour many years ago. There's a sort of shrine to him at the top. It's an intense climb. You know, the average gradient for 22 kilometers is something like 12 or 13%. It's brutal. Cool. You know? Wow. I'd sort of gone there and I was sort of with my wife's brother and some of his mates who were, you know, proper cyclists, men in Lycra, serious people on serious bikes. And one of the other brothers who takes it quite lightheartedly as well, he's got a spare bike and I'm like, oh, we'll do this mountain. We'll cycle up this mountain. So I'm on this sort of, this commuter bike. I'm pretty unfit at the time anyway, because I'm not long since smashed my back and all this jazz. And as I'm sort of cycled to the bottom of this, well, I know it's a lovely pub at the bottom, and I think, or a bar, a tabac, en français. Mm, and I'm thinking, ooh, that'd be a lovely place to have a little replenish of the stocks when I get back down here, because I'm definitely doing this ride. And uh, the peloton comes past of people that I know, and serious cyclers and serious lycra and serious bikes, carbon fibre, this, that and the other. This one guy, I think he was from Spain, who was part of the pack, and we were younger, so testosterone's a bit more coursing through the veins isn't it hmm. he looked at me and he said this mountain is uh is difficult if uh, if you're fit so be tricky for you or something and i have never <laughs> had so much determination to get to the top of this uh of this mountain than i had at that time and i got there hey, hey. now i was overtaken by an 80 year old frenchman called claude who was uh, probably doing it for the sixth time in that day but it was incredible how ego actually yeah. at that point had gone you will get up this. Path. That's interesting. So you're kind of like a stick, not carrot. So mm. I need to keep that in mind if we go looking at big waves <laughs> that you can't surf it, mate. Oh, well, I've, I've been on the mindful surfer journey now, William. I don't, I don't <laughs> respond to that Don't sort respond. of ego trigger anymore. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you connect with what we do here at the mindful surfer, why not share it with your friends or go on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Because the more ratings we have, the more likely it is Liam and I can come back week after week and keep building this community of mindful surfers. Now, let's get back to the show. Segment number two, a bit of mindfulness. Let's do this now. So take a deep breath in through your nose. 
and breathe out. And deep breath in. And breathe out. And breathe in. And breathe out. Take another deep breath in. And breathe out. This final breath, sixth breath, I just want you to hold your breath at the top and breathe out for, if you can, 20 seconds. It's very, very good for building aerobic fitness, this as well. So take a deep breath in through your nose. Just hold your breath. And I'll tell you when the 20 seconds is up. And breathe out. One of the most difficult aspects of mindfulness is remaining mindful. <laughs> you don't say. You don't say, Sonny. Ministry of the fucking obvious. <laughs> and he has a degree in fucking obvious. Yeah. A first. First class. A first class honours in obvious. So the question becomes why? Why do we as humans find it very difficult to remain mindful. And the answer is very simply that the mind is very, very, very clever, disguising itself as you. And that's that's why. Because sort of from a young age, we start forming an ego, dot, dot, dot. And unless we start awakening more into presence through time in nature, acts of kindness, compassion that kind of light up your heart and soul and whatever little, small, big, medium type events that happen in your childhood, younger days, 20s, 30s, whatever. We don't know exactly the hard science behind how someone becomes more mindful and therefore more relaxed about life and enjoying it more, etc. But there are clues, there are bits. But ultimately, you just take the journey where you're at now. And wherever you're at now is where you're supposed to be because it's how things are. All you've got to do to notice that you're getting and becoming more mindful is when you've not. It's the contrast. That's the only way to know. You'll have moments where you go, you go, shit, where? Oh my God. I have meditation still. I've meditated easily over two or 3,000 hours now. And even to this day, I'll be lying there every morning like I do. I do 30 minutes religiously every morning. And um, where did I go? That happens every single day. And you only know the coming back because you went. Mm. That's how it works. And it's a bit like um, in surfing, we're going through a flat spell at the moment. So when we then get time to go in the sea. We're going to froth mm. and get that gratitude, that appreciation. So the appreciation of things, of mindfulness, mindlessness, of being able to surf when you haven't been able to surf, insert what you will, comes because of contrast. If you had it always surf, 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 amazing, amazing. It humbles me to think that even the mentorways, if we did mentorways now and said, no, I want to do like four months of just the mentorways, you get to like week five or six mm. and you'd start to get a little bit of mental fatigue about it. And don't be wrong, it'd probably only take a couple of days of a break to be yeah. like, fuck, we're in the mental ways. Yeah. It's the contrast. Yeah, and familiarity breeds contempt. You've got to remind yourself every day, haven't you? What a wonderful place it is that you are wherever you are. We drift back into the unconsciousness of, oh, well, 
it's better somewhere else or whatever. I see this every day. But the flat spell's definitely given me appreciation because we haven't actually had waves since the last show. In fact, no. we hadn't had waves up until that show. So we've, what, a week and a half, two weeks of pretty much nothing to sort of surf in the sea, body or otherwise. And there's nothing on the horizon. No. Really. We're in a very still period of weather here. It's interesting. Dude, moving on to segment number three, because yeah. we're going to talk about this in a sec, about your, your flat spell stuff and other things. Mind, body, stoke. Things Liam and I have been doing with our minds and bodies to raise the stoke. Go for it. Anything you want to share? I've actually been... <laughs> this is not a gardening show, but I've been sort of digging and chopping and getting things ready to plant again and doing all that stuff. And it's a quite nice reminder to connect with nature, isn't it? And how simple that is and how cliched it is. And how everybody says, oh, you know, you get outside and get your hands in the dirt and all that sort of thing. It's wonderful. And it is. I can't, you know, I can't recommend it enough. And I think while we're going through that flat spell, just to have that something else that is actually, it's at a different pace. Mm. But you've still got a connection with the earth and nature and Mm. being outside. With some of the flat spells that we get, high pressure comes in and we get nicer weather and the sun's out. And it's just a lovely time, especially at this time of year, that sort of spring. To see and to notice, you know, I'm sort of channeling my inner horticulturalist and hippie here, but you say to notice like the blossoms on the trees and the different mm. smells and the, the animals that re- start to return and the flora and fauna. Again, if I'd have gone back and told my younger self that I would be so stoked on that, I'd have thought I was sort of having a funny moment, but it's always been there to enjoy and it's just sort of accessing it. And then from a sort of body perspective, when we look at it, you get sent these things, although I'm a bit exhausted with some of the sort of physical stuff I've been doing outside. The flat spell gives you a chance to refocus and your appreciation of the waves when they come. It reminds you that there's an impermanence to them, so they're not there all the time. That's been a really good... Because we were getting into this kind of groove that, okay, we're going to get two or three days a week where we get to go surf, and that's great. So it's just a sort of nice reminder of scarcity and therefore the kind of heightened appreciation when they do come. Mm. But from a body perspective, looking at the sort of physical gains, if you like, from taking time off from the same exercise, doing the same exercise time and time again. So you say, you know, I was paddle fatigued. I was getting tired of getting sort of smashed around in the, you know, in the waves. It is important to love something, but to also be able to step back and give your body a break from it. I think that's been a really good, almost an enforced um repair but we talked last week about burnout and it's very possible that we were well certainly i was getting to a moment where i might have been slightly burning out Mm. on the surfing it's very healthy to love something and then let it go yeah spiritually mentally physically emotionally because the things that we love are impermanent Mm. and that's true of all of life when you can learn to let go it's a tremendous skill. And uh, we've had to do that lately with, with the flat spell. Or it could be for you if you're listening that you've had time out of water just yeah. because of, of travel, work, injuries, you know, whatever it might be. I wanted to mention an analogy as you were discussing there, Liam, on this aspect of you doing your gardening and whatever, which might actually have just been on your pubic hair, but I don't think it was. It was the real garden. Yeah. So that's nice to know. I thought you were going to go down that road, but um, <laughs> I had to just, anyway. How does your garden grow? How does your garden grow, boy? sound like you were like kind of digging and i know you've got particularly thick um thick pubes so i know that it could have been tough for you there but um the analogy of having this ability to you know love and let go and create balance with regards to surfing is it's like a stool this was in um the book who stole my spear it's yeah. a great book leave it in the show notes i can't remember the name of the author but a phenomenal book which this analogy is in and basically it's imagine your life is like a stool and you've got these pegs underneath holding it up 
let's take your hobbies in that example and just take a stall out and just make it about your hobby life, shall we say. And if you have, let's say, just mountain biking and surfing, then it's up, it can be propped up. But if there's a third, it's going to be more stable, isn't it? So you add another activity, let's say hiking. So add another activity, great. Well, what about then if you get injured, either upper body or lower body, and you can't do any of those three? Well, then if you add a fourth, you're getting even more stable. So the point of the matter is, if you can diversify what it is that you do, and not only diversify it, but make the activities that make up your life mm-hmm. yin activities. Mm-hmm. So that's painting, gardening, softer stuff, stuff that's gentle, stuff that doesn't require you needing to be in tip-top condition. You're really creating a balance. And yeah. I know it's very obvious. This stuff is incredibly obvious, what I'm pointing out, because we all know this, except how often do we do it? And that's the real key here. How often do we kind of go, oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just watch telly, rather than actually sit and read or, instead. Or draw. Or draw, or all these things. And or, you, you do music, which I think is great. The music yeah. thing is a real area I'd love to get into. I'd love to have some drums no, or something. It's good for me. It's not good for everybody else in the house. <laughs> Well, you're actually very self-deprecating. You're a serious guitar player. Who do you think you are, Bruce Bully Springsteen? And, mate, I've heard it. Well, it's actually... I've, Multi-talented. This guy sh- is It shows you about practice. I really struggle to go back to the guitar now. I'm sort of trying the piano, and that is yeah. really therapeutic. There's a sort of flow to that that I really like. Again, for my own ears, and there's a serious point in that, is that art, if you like, is your own expression, really. Mm-hmm. Should you give a shit what other people think of it? Well, maybe if you ask them to come pay and watch it, but if you're in your, the, your own house or shed or wherever and you're banging on the drums or you're playing a xylophone, whatever it is, I think there's real joy to that. You get these little portals, don't you, into kind of utter presence, if you like. And because of the frequencies, again, the vibrations that go with music or uh, rhythm, percussion instruments or whatever, it, it takes you to somewhere else that you can't always describe where you've been. I, I'd love to speak to some, actually ask some of the musicians that we know about that very thing. You know, when you get to a certain proficiency, let's say, you know, you flow and you're playing in front of hundreds of thousands of people, what must that be like as a flow mm-hmm. experience, you mm-hmm. know? And the, literally the vibrations. I know, I know, I know. And it makes me think of surfs that I've had over the years that are that special. Yeah. You've all had them. You listen to this. You've had those surfs where everything in your mind is gone. You're just with the sunset, the, the pumping waves. You're on your game. Your board is dialed. You feel just so stoked. And everyone else is getting way too. You've got this friendship thing too. And the thing is, well, the question becomes... Well, how can we have more of those kind of surfs? Well, kind of comes back a little bit to that love and let go. Because you got to love that, but you got to let it go. Because yeah. those spontaneous moments where everything, everything comes together and you are in the highest vibration of your possible surf thing, whatever that may be, to make that your aim, to go for that, it could elude you. Because now we're trying to force stuff. These things happen spontaneously. I was going to use that word. And humans, we're incredibly impatient when it comes to that kind of thing. We want the spontaneous feel good. We want the the amazing. We want the super stoke and the the barrels and the blue water and and anything less than that. Oh, it's a bit shit or whatever. And it just doesn't have to be like that. We've just got to be able to... There's the waves. It's two foot. It's on shore. And the water's brown. And not only is it brown, it's freezing cold. I know. (laughs) Get in. That's why this is a metaphor for it all, isn't it? The whole thing we talk about, knit it all together. If you can find happiness in brown water in seven degrees in a howling onshore wind, then surely you can find happiness in anything. Bang.
I think we're blessed in that way because our waves. I really don't want to use the word shit. Don't um, you dare use the word shit. Our waves, by world standards, are terrible. They are. For, yeah. you see, that's not a full stop, for short boarding, top to bottom maneuvers. Mm. They are. It's just horrendous. They lack so much power and shape. However, when you adapt your equipment and you adapt your mindset, you get just as much joy as someone else surfing barrels. It's really interesting surfing. Someone might, from the outside, who's a you know, full-on surfer, look at the whole overview of like, oh, there's those guys, girls, surfing that brown water. It's two foot. There's barely a turn happening. No barrels, nothing. They might look at that and look at someone else in the mentorways getting the shack of their life and shack after shack and top turns and da-da-da. They might look at it and go, oh, yeah, they'll be happier. The guy or girl doing that. Oh, you know, look at the tan. Look at the blonde hair. Look at the smiles. Of the, they'll be happier. No, 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 no. Like you mentioned earlier in the show, wherever you go, there you are. If you're miserable, Dave, and you're in the mental ways, you're miserable, Dave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we always use the word Dave. But to any Daves out there, yeah. I apologize. I know a few of them as well. <laughs> They'll think it's them. I've always said this, that um, I think you have, in surfing, the labels are always very much around what your technical ability is. And almost what somebody else judges that technical ability to be, or your ego judges that technical ability to be yourself. And, you know, I'm a beginner, I'm an improver, I'm an intermediate, I'm a whatever. Level one, two, three, four, five. You peg it against it. And there are some very, very important reasons why if you improve and you want to get technical improvements, you should think about those scales and really be honest with yourself where you're at. That's a given. But what we talk less about, maybe we should start to have alongside that. It's a bit like having competencies and then behaviors. And the behaviors for me is where are you at on the stoke scale, if you like. Your stoke maneuvers, you might be doing 360 airs off the top, but your technical maneuver if you like if i'm just drawing the comparison is you just a white water bandit if your stoke's higher who's having the best time we've said it way way it's back the original in the quote in surfing you know get surf school happy sometimes the surf school stoke he's way better than that middle level intermediate take themselves too seriously to advance stoke whatever that means enjoy yourself beautifully put me i want to mention something on body i've been doing more aerobic mm-hmm. activities so feeling the lungs burning puffing heart rate's up and the lungs are having to work. Now, my dissertation, this goes way back, more years than I'd like to admit now, to university. Oh, hang on. Has he got letters after his name? He's got letters, lad. He did a degree. Dissertation. That's a big word, isn't it? He did. I did. I did a degree. And my dissertation was on the effect of aerobic training upon anaerobic capacity in athletes. And uh, what's been touted for years now is this kind of CrossFit thing. So, you know, do your CrossFit and get super fit for everything. It'll get you fit for, for running. It'll get you fit for surfing. Because it just it not only builds anaerobic threshold, which is basically lactic acid threshold, but it also builds aerobic, which is your ability to take on oxygen molecules and turn that into energy, along with fat and other things. The characteristics of anaerobic exercise, that is, is that lots of acid really burns, but you don't puff that much. So that's classic, let's say, um, weight training. But it's also surfing too. Surfing, interestingly, is what I would say right in the middle, but slightly more towards anaerobic. Surfing doesn't raise the heart rate that high. I'd say my heart rate, and I have monitored it before surfing, it normally ranges between 100 mm. and 140, 145. So it doesn't ever go near the peak of 180, et cetera, and, or even 160. The energy systems you're using up are, are carbs. So we drain out a lot of carbs when we burn up and use lactic acid. And, and we also, like I said, tend to feel that acid burn. Now, the thing about aerobic exercise, which is classically, you know, 
bike rides for an hour where you really feel the lungs burning or a proper run or like endurance type work where you're really feeling that, let's say kind of 160 to 180 beats per minute type exercise, that will have a hugely beneficial effect upon anything you do anaerobically. Now, the reason why is it's your recovery. You aren't able to produce more power in your paddling, for example, by having done running, swimming, even swimming or anything like that. You won't be able to increase your power. Your power and your strength comes from the gym. That's where that comes from, your muscle output. But the ability to like, let's say, duck dive 10 ways. Oh my God, there's another set. Your ability to quickly recover after those 10, that increases the more aerobic work you've done. So basically your recovery from paddling. So let's say, for example, you've just got a wave. You've just got back out. You're not panting massively, but you're burning because that's what surfing does. It makes our muscles burn. That burn will go away quicker the more aerobically fit you are. For me, it's been great to feel a, a bit more aerobically fit over the last two, three weeks. My big one is this, don't overdo it because it's very addictive. When you start doing aerobic exercise, you get an endorphin rush. That's, I think, even higher sometimes than surfing. Surfing, because you use your arms, doesn't create as many endorphins. There's a lot of research that shows that leg training, so that's weight training on the legs, circuits, skipping, cycling, running, anything with the legs is where we produce endorphins. So the real feel, feel good hormones from exercise actually don't really come from surfing. They come much more from like cycling, running, etc. And you can why you can see how addictive when you see those people get into those kind of sports. Oh my God, they just get so addicted. So we got to know, love and let go. We got to enjoy that high and do that work that's going to help your surfing, but don't overdo it. Here's the big one. Because when we do, not only are we over fatiguing the system, obviously, appetite. It's very, very hard. I feel to eat clean if you've done a three or four hour bike ride, like a proper hilly or a really long 15 mile run, 10 mile run, whatever. I find it brutally difficult. And you do know a lot of people who try and out train a poor diet. So they want to be lean for surfing. And rather than just eat clean, which is the most important thing, what they'll do is they'll do an extra run or an extra bike ride to burn up the sugar and burn up the alcohol, etc. Except the body does not work like that. You are what you eat. What you put in your body is how you feel. I think that's after 25. You can out-train it when you're in your early 20s. Yep. Let's say from 15 to 25, I think you can pretty much, you're given a bit of a free pass, aren't you, if you're doing enough stuff. Agreed. But after that, yeah, it's really, really tricky. I mean, I see it. I know that my Achilles, I would joke about it. I love beer, but that's my one real blocker sometimes to taking it onto the next level because I can't out-train it. Yeah, I have to take it out to get the gains if I want to like spend some time really taking it onto the next sort of level of fitness or whatever. Totally. And it always has been. But you see it with the, yeah, the cycling. You used to see it a lot where you go past a cafe and there's a lot of blokes out there having a few cakes and some coffee and all of the carbon fiber bikes are stacked up against this sort of coffee shop. And so what? I mean, if you're having a good time, you're having a good time. But you can't out-train a bad uh, diet for certain. When I was 22, when I started surfing, I started, finished rugby, decided not to go back to it got the bug of surfing, like majorly. My dear brother gave me a 610 Almeric. And I remember getting my first proper wave on it at Sennan. Oh, yeah. Way down in Land's End in Cornwall in England. That was it. I was just off. That was it. Surf, surf, surf. Between the ages of 22 and 26, I could consume, I reckon, six to 8,000 calories on my surf days because I used to do this major binging because, I, oh, I've just burned 2,000 calories surfing. So now I'm going to eat literally, I'm not kidding, sit and eat. 20 biscuits with a pot of tea. And that was the starter, followed by six sandwiches, a bag of crisps, bag of nuts. And that was like a, that wasn't even really a big meal. And then it was back in the sea. And I had a full on six pack. I mean, I was absolutely shredded. 
didn't feel it, recovered, yeah, done, slept well, yeah, done, done, done. and then as time's gone on, as each year passes, I just can't handle it. I just, even a morsel of sugar now. Because it becomes so much more about well-being. It's how it affects the mind and brain because the body feels so sluggish. So you could be still within your calorie count, but because you've eaten shit, you feel shit the next day. So it becomes so much more about the function of your diet and the function of your training. We've discussed this many times. Mm. How do you feel on a functional level? Is it aiding your well-being or is it hindering it? Mm. Rather than calories in, calories out. That's just such a, an archaic way of looking at your wellness. I think that's the same that Fred through goes through surfing as well, though, isn't it? Feel. How does it feel? Does it feel good? Yeah, it feels good. I feel flowy. I'm feeling fit. I'm feeling fine. Rather than metrics around it sometimes. You get a sense of it. I'm good. Rather than the opposite. Well said. Segment number four. Just to finish up. Surf Media Insight. I was watching J-O-B last night on Red Bull TV, which I've kept going. Mm-hmm. I consume consistently half an hour less footage per night of media stuff since I've quit YouTube. I say quit. It was quit for me. Jamie O'Brien is a freak of nature. You get freaks in sport. I mean, Ronaldo's one, J-O-B's another, Michael Jordan. There are some absolute God-given. It's like they were born truly to shoot hoops, get in the barrel, fucking headers. I mean, some of Ronaldo's headers. Oh my good God. When he butt drags, so I was watching him and it really hit me. We watch so much surf footage, don't we? And we sort of watch it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like we just get so used to it. This I watched, it was really interesting. He took off on a wave that no one had a right to make. It was disgusting. It was so deep. If I even looked at that from a drone, I'd probably poo my pants. Like let alone be in the ocean and even look down the line of a wave like that. Mm. If I look down the line of a wave like that, (laughs) anyway... He takes off, butt drags, is five metres back in the foam ball or something, and just hangs in there and gets spat. I think maybe like a six-second barrel. Or, I don't know what some ridiculous wow. thing. The point of the matter is this. Barrel riding, it's the Everest of the kind of dreamer surfer who kind of believes that they could get good enough to do that, right? And I've always dreamt of a proper barrel. I've had tons of shouldery ones, even quite a good one at the wave in Bristol where it was quite far back. But again, it was about only a second, half second. I dream of the day where I'm a little bit back on the phone ball. So it's a bit sketchy because that's where you got to be. If you want to get that high, you got to up the risk. So you're back on the phone ball, looking down the line and the lips ahead of you and really thread through the line and get spat. And I didn't have to have to be spat out, but, you know, just at least kind of make that exit, whatever. It's one of those ones where I wonder, it doesn't feel like ego, that dream, to me. It feels so internal. Because I don't care if no one, not a soul on the planet sees that I had about it, or even that if I tell anyone. I've had this dream, and it's just been such a non-egoic. It's just, I, I just want to be in that vortex. Mm-hmm. See that view and do that thing. It's just me. But when I was seeing Jamie do it last night on the pipe, I then went, yeah, practice. And that's where I'm going to fall short because I've had plenty of barrel experiences, but a heck of a lot of the time I just freak out through fear. And that's the subconscious mind, just bang. Oh, there's the lip. Oh, you freak out. Boom. Still putting myself in those situations, but trying to overcome that subconscious conditioning to fear. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the biggest quests in extreme sports is how can you overcome the deeply embedded, yeah. you know, primal need to survive? Definitely not pipeline, but to be in a, a reasonably sized barrel would be lovely. <laughs> Do you know the other guy? That, have to be part. The other guy to give a shout to on on the little surf media insight. Actually, somebody who I really admire for his sort of just 
just very down-to-earth take on it is Garage McDade, the Irish big wave surfer who rides Molly and gets barreled in those monstrous pits. Uh, he's done a thing with Rip Curl about the reality of surfing those waves and some of the wipeouts as well. And so how it's such a sort of amazing experience when you kind of make it. But if you get hit on the head by the Molly lip, you're getting a beating. You're those, getting those guys. a serious beating. Two and it's cold and dark as well. Dude, Mavericks yeah. and Molly Bon. Yeah. Those two spots, you need to have... As my Brazilian friend Tiago says, boles. Yeah. You need to boles for those two spots, I tell you. Yeah. Woo! That's it. Nice. We'll leave that in the show notes. Right. Are we done? We are done. Right. Thanks for having us, guys. See you next week. See you soon. Bye.